With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The NBA is upside down. There's a lot of crap going on right now. Whether that's bad news, whether it's good news, there's just a lot of news right now. A ton of it. On the flip side, we had three really outstanding Game 5s, all of them which were tied series. Looking towards what we've got coming up, we're not going to be able to see it because we're recording this on a Thursday night right before Bucks Nets. We're going to get into that series, don't worry. But we're kind of going to have a blind spot there because we're not going to know whether that series continues or not. We're not going to know what happens in Game 6. So we're just going to get into everything that happened prior to that. But we can share our predictions for what happens with the Sixers and the Hawks. We can share our predictions for what happens with the Clippers and the Jazz. And again, we will get to that. But Brian, elephant in the room here is that there's like 10 pieces of news that happened in the last two days that we just got to boom, 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 knock them right out. And I think that we can do a good job of that because I got some rants prepared for you for the news that came out Thursday morning. It was a really weird day on Wednesday because we we're coming off that high of the Kevin Durant game where he carried the Brooklyn Nets in a historic, monumental effort where everybody could not say enough platitudes about how great KD was on this night, and he deserved every little bit of it. And then the news started to break, and it felt like it never ended. It was just story after story after story, and then finally you breathe, and about 24 hours later, there was more. And more, and more, and more, and more. It, it, th- that's the funny part about the association, Brian, is it's like all the decision makers and all the reporters that have the scoops decide to congregate and be like, hmm, you know what? This is a random Wednesday. Let's just bombard everybody with every piece of knowledge and every, every choice that we're going to make and do it today, all together. It's like if there it was- were one giant group that decides... Let's not spread out this news, you know. You know, there's one firing here, there's one hiring there. So let's just join in. And maybe part of it is because they want it to be a news dump and they don't want a negative reflection on their organization. That could be one part of it. But then the other part could just be like, I just want to add on to it because it's already crazy. Everything's crazy right now. So why not throw a little bit more gasoline onto the fire? It's all powered by the... uh 
the secret organizations that run the world. There's five of them, and they all just used their immense power to say, we're going to have all the NBA news come out on this particular day or within a 24-hour period. Hey, I know we just had a great game, and everybody wants to talk about that great game. We got stuff going on in the court, and that's a power. Just, oh, and just when you think it's powered down and we got two more really good games that happen the next day, no, 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 no. We got more stuff. We've got more stuff that we're going to dump on you. Don't you worry. We're keeping that in the back pocket just in case – you want to focus about on the court. You want to focus about the games. Oh, you podcasters, I want to sit there and say like, oh, everybody doesn't talk enough about the games. Everybody wants to talk about the news off the court. We should be talking about the games, the focus, the actual playing on the court and these great athletes and everything. Just when you think you can talk about that and you can focus on that in the NBA playoffs. No, I got stuff to go on off the court. Look at this guy. He's getting fired. This guy's getting replaced. Oh, this guy, he might have COVID. Oh my God, this guy blew out his knee. Oh, let's talk about that instead. You a little bit ticked off there, but can I'm we just you. talk about the game sometimes? I'm Tom's with saying. you. I'm with you though, because this is this is something that I wanted to say yesterday. Is for all of the bad news with the injuries, the eight all stars, or the you know however many, it's a record that that have missed uh, these games in the postseason and have truly you know been a bad thing for the league. But at the same time, you're seeing other guys step up. You're seeing other stars be born. And the product to me has been fine. And I've been enjoying these playoffs, even though the likes of LeBron James aren't in it and Anthony Davis, you know, like it sucks to see all of these great players go down. But the positive that comes out of that, not saying it's because, you know, I want to not see these guys play. Obviously, I want everyone to play. I want every all-star to be on the floor. It's not possible in the playoffs because at that point of time, especially in a shortened season, you're probably going to have a lot of injuries, which necessary evil, but also see both sides and uh, understand why everyone's frustrated. But at the same time, everyone taking that one side about how the NBA screwed up and stuff like that, they have to also acknowledge that guys like Trey Young and Donovan Mitchell and for lack of better you know, judgment, Paul George. These guys are all stepping up and into the fray and into the spotlight and being the guy. Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic before he got eliminated. Like, all of these players are coming into their own. So you should be able to appreciate that and still acknowledge that it sucks that some guys that your favorites are aren't out there. I mean, I joke about that when it comes to the news dump. And, and, and a lot of that is about all the different coaches and we'll get into that about, you know, there's even more coaching vacancies that are available now, but I'm totally with you when it comes to the injuries. I mean, you never know when those are going to happen. There's no rhyme or reason to that. And we sit there and you talk about, yes, some of the biggest stars are not on the court, but there, the NBA has so much star power right now that there's, there's other stars to fill that void in these playoffs. There's great stories to talk about. You know, when you talk about, the Chris Paul story and the guy that's been in the NBA for almost two decades and has been waiting for a moment to have a chance to win an NBA championship. And then the word comes out on Wednesday morning that he has to enter, you know, health and safety protocols. And we don't know how long he might be sidelined for, because right now the news is, well, he could miss like one game of the Western conference finals. We don't know how long he has to be sidelined because he is vaccinated, but yet something is going on. And then it all depends on when, you know, the conference finals actually begin. So maybe he doesn't miss anything. Maybe he misses a game. Maybe it's longer than that. We don't know yet. And then the word comes out about Kawhi Leonard. Like, 
Kawhi suffered a knee injury. He's going to miss tonight's game. Oh, wait, the knee injury is worse than that. He's probably going to miss the rest of the playoffs. Oh, it could be even worse than that. He might even have a torn ACL, which would mean he would miss most of next season along with that. So, and that's to go with some of these other injuries that we even talked about. And we were worried about Joel Embiid and his injury, which, you know, he has played through. Uh, it has bothered him in some games, like in game four against the Hawks. Um, it didn't look like it bothered him in game five. Now, mind you, that didn't stop the Sixers from having an epic collapse oh, we'll get there. against we'll get the there. Hawks. But, <laughs> we'll get there. you know, but there are other stories too, you know. I mean, for for all the grief everybody wanted to give Paul George last year, and then people immediately seeing the news about Kawhi going down and saying, "Well, the Clippers are screwed." And instead, Paul George stepped up, had one of the better games of his career, put his team on his back, and the rest of his teammates they were hitting shots too. So give him credit for that. And you could sit here and talk about what happened to the Jazz's defense, which just totally fell that fell apart. But give the credit where it's deserved. Paul George, in a big moment where people worried about, will he actually rise to it or will he continue to falter in those moments? He stepped up and guided his team to a huge win. Yep. And then, there, you know, you just mentioned like about three or four different stories that we can focus on. But no, we're going to look at what happens and you know, two years, stuff like that. Like we're, we're back to that. We're back to that. I'm not going to get too fired up about that, but it does have to do with some pieces of news that came out both yesterday and today. So let's start with the freshest piece of news out there. Okay. Rick Carlisle out as Mavs head coach. Okay. That was a mutual decision that he made. Um, I believe with the organization. Well, I think I actually might be framing that incorrectly because this, the, statement to Adrian Wojnarowski was that it was solely his decision so maybe it wasn't mutual but Rick made the decision to say okay I'm 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 done here uh, I'm going to look for you know other coaching opportunities uh, my buddy texted me today he's like can they get Rick Carlisle to Milwaukee tonight <laughs> so uh but I, I I told him, I'm like, probably not, but maybe you'll get your wish next season. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Well, but, this comes after Mark Cuban yeah. immediately after the Mavericks get eliminated, gave his vote of confidence and saying, I want Rick to come back. I know he's been here for a long time, but I have no reason to not want Rick to be our head coach next season. Right. And then you have to think about, you had Donnie Nelson let go uh, on Wednesday. You had the report about Bob Volgaris that came out from The Athletic. Um, and just how those decisions were reportedly being made. And Mark Cuban came out and flat out denied that stuff. But uh, there was some some merit to that, uh, clearly, as you know, these, these uh, decisions were made. And I don't think that it stemmed from stuff that came out. I think that this stuff has been in the works for a couple weeks. And once the report came out, someone over there was sitting on it and you know, that's when they let it go and then boom, the decisions were made and that's just how it ended up ended up going. That's just at least my opinion and, and my speculation on, on the whole situation. Uh, but, you know, Luca came out uh, today. I think he was, he, I think he's over in Slovenia. He's doing some national team stuff. And uh, he was informed about Donnie Nelson yesterday. Um, and he was, you know, kind of, he wasn't like upset over it, but he was like, not too, you know, happy about Donnie being let go. Uh, apparently, 
there were relationship questions with Luka Doncic and Rick Carlisle, which would make sense if Rick Carlisle would be the one to step away because, you know, you said it yourself, Cuban endorsed him a number of times. So this decision, I think, is probably for the better. Uh, But, I mean, it might not be like the Mavs had any choice because Rick made this decision pretty much on your own, right? I think it's one of those situations where after the season ended, he had multiple conversations with Mark Cuban about the future of what his position was, where this team was going. I think there had been some friction with Luka Doncic, but nothing that they couldn't overcome. It wasn't like Luka was demanding a different coach. It wasn't like um, Carlisle was sitting there going, I can't coach this guy. I think they had their moments. I think some of that is Luka is a very emotional player, and some of it is in the moment, on the court kind of things. So I don't think there was any problems where Luka wanted him gone or anything like that. I think this is a situation where Carlisle had been the head coach there for 13 years. It'd been a long time. And I think he just kind of saw some different things that maybe he didn't like where they were going or just felt like, you know what, before this gets bad or the possibility of it being bad, how about we just say, I think I could use a fresh start somewhere else. I think you guys are looking for, you know, going a different direction. It It's good for both sides that we leave, you know, you know, at this moment in time and Rick's going to have other opportunities and you know the Dallas job will be one that's in demand because you have Luka Doncic you know the best young star in the NBA when you're talking about somebody that's what 22 years old now um and is just this incredible guy to build around I don't think the Carlisle thing necessarily had anything to do with Donnie Nelson or definitely not with Volgaris but it is interesting from a standpoint that when you talk about franchises, they're very stable and you talk about like an organization being run correctly, the right way that people have looked at Dallas as one of those model citizens, you know, those model franchises. And for all of this to go down over, you know, basically a four day period is pretty wild because like that athletic story dropped on Monday Donnie Nelson news comes out on Wednesday, even though it sounds like he was actually let go on Sunday. It just, the news didn't come out until Wednesday. And then, you know, today, Thursday is when Rick Carlisle steps down. So it's, it, it, it's been kind of this topsy turvy time for the Mavericks over this past week. It has, it has. And I'm glad you brought that up model organization, you know, longevity. It kind of all ties into what I want to talk about next. So from one franchise that's kind of in a, in a rut to another, uh, one that didn't make a playoffs, New Orleans Pelicans. So the other huge piece of news this morning and yesterday was one, Stan Van Gundy out as head coach after one year. That's the second head coach this year to get canned after a year, just one single year. It's becoming a trend that's interesting to me, and that's probably another part of my rant. Uh, But uh, two, today, Zion's family members, according to The Athletic, are unhappy with him being a part of the Pelicans. So first thing that came to my mind, knowing Zion, 
knowing Luca are both guys who are in their rookie scale contracts. There's not consistent winning that happens unless you stick to it with a lot of these things. Now, exception to the rule is probably this because New Orleans, this is going to be their third head coach. There's been multiple bad hires. The talent that was surrounding Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram was not conducive to their abilities. Uh, The spacing was not nearly good enough. Steven Adams and Eric Bledsoe um, really weren't uh, the the correct pieces to surround these guys with. Uh, One, because of their uh, inability to space, but also uh, they're, you know, kind of in that veteran veteran role that's not exactly with the timeline of the team. Uh, you saw the rumors were, were going around that Griff was more of a, you know, definitely someone who supported uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker and Kyra Lewis Jr. Uh, getting playing time over to someone like an Eric Bledsoe. Uh, whereas Stan Van Gundy was, you know, we see this all the time, the classic case of I'm trying to show the guys how to win, so... You know, I'm playing the guys who have won before or have been around the league to try and set an example, but then they get a little too attached to these vets, and then that's how it goes down, and the young guys don't develop enough or, you know, what have you. We've seen that story a thousand times, a thousand times. But it's just, for Zion in particular, being going into your third year, having played 85 games in the NBA, 85 games. And he's not this kind of dude. This this might not even be his mentality. This, this is, you know, strictly re- reported about, you know, his family and his close circle wanting these things for him. Which, who, want, who wouldn't want the best for, you know, the person that you're closest with? I understand that. But 85 games in, and you're making demands already. Luca being, you know, only in his, you know, fourth year next year. Making demands, 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 demands. I, I, I disagree with it. I wholeheartedly disagree with it. I look at an example, and this is a different time, I get it. But I look at an example like LeBron James. LeBron James didn't make the playoffs until his third year. Like, you have all these other superstars that I guarantee you, you go back and look at their box scores and look at their teams. There's a reason that these teams are picking so high because they don't have the chops to make it to the playoffs or the play-in. They've been in that position likely more than not in that top five slot, in the lottery. There's a reason they're there. You have to build it first. You can't continuously change things. This is the saying I want to say. Like, if you continue to change things over and over and over again, the less likely things are going to change. Like... There, there's no shortcutting any of this. And I've tried to get this point across because you're seeing it more and more and more. Guys are getting canned after a year. And I, I prefaced this in a tweet earlier. The, the organizations certainly aren't not at fault because the organizations are screwing up themselves as well. But holy, like as a whole, the NBA, you're not going to get out of a rut in two or three years. It's just not possible especially with the assembly of super teams. You look at these other, you know, these, these other organizations that go out and just nab talent from all of these, these smaller teams or smaller market teams, whatever you, whatever you want to call it. 
you're not going to turn it around if you continuously change things over and over and over again. Now, sometimes you have to have the right people in place to do that. I, I get it. I don't think they should have gotten rid of Alvin Gentry, to tell you the truth. Um, I don't think that the Pacers should have gotten rid of Nate McMillan, to tell you the truth. <laughs> like, th- those are organizational decisions. But the more that you just tinker and tinker and tinker, it's almost like it's, what is the word, micromanagement? Because you can't, you can't, it's, it's, it's literally impossible to do it within two or three years unless you do something like what the Nets did or like something what the Lakers did. You can't organically build it in two or three years. It takes minimum four to five, especially if you're a lottery team. Again, there is a reason that that team is always in the lottery. The lottery teams get these high talents you're not going to turn it around that quickly. And I can't wait till we're talking about this with Lomelo in a year or two because you know what's going to happen. It's just a vicious cycle. I'm tired of it. It's the same thing over again, over again. There's, there's literally the most predictable storylines. It's so funny. In some chats that I have with friends, they're like, insert name here, once out, is the storyline of the day. And lo and behold, it happened this morning. And again, it might not be you know Zion's fault. It might not be Zion's line of thinking, but it's his family's line of thinking, which means that, again, there's this instant gratification bullcrap that's going on right now. And you can't have that when you're 20 and 21 years old. You can't. It's just, even Anthony Davis stuck it out for like seven years. They had a good run, actually, like his like fifth year. And then, you know, some things went wrong. There were some injuries when it went awry. The, you know, Rajon Rondo and Boogie and, and all them, like, they did a decent job together. But, like, that's, that's not the point. The point is you've got to at least – the leverage that these guys are trying to get this early in their careers is a little over overarching for me. Well, there's a lot to unpack there. Let's start with the Zion part because his family can say what they want. And it kind of sounds like a LeVar Ball situation. Just you don't see him on camera, whoever it is. I don't think Zion's that type of person that is going to sit there and, you know, I I think that obviously he has some difficulties behind the scenes. I don't think that he is going to be public about that. The family grousing, they can do that if they want, because I know they're trying to look out and say like, oh, we think we know what's best or look at this. And and Zion's probably said some things about like he had some difficulties with Stan Van Gundy this past season. That's that's not a shocker. That being said, they control him for another three years and they ain't moving him on a rookie deal, you know, until for at least two or three more years. There, there's no way. I don't care if it got really contentious. I don't care if it got nasty. I don't care if he demanded a trade. You know, we talk about leverage in the NBA from superstars and Zion is a superstar, but you know what you don't move a superstar in a rookie contract. It's different in that way. So that's not going to happen. Okay. And I don't think he wants it to happen. Did the Pelicans make questionable moves in the off season that has hurt them this season? Yes. You mentioned the Bledsoe move. Thought that was bad. I understand why they did it. They did get draft picks out of it. I've said this many times. I know you have as well, but what if they had never made that trade and they still had Drew Holiday? It's a big what if. 
the Stephen Adams move. Okay, you do that, but then you extended him, which is weird because you're talking about a guy that's probably past his prime, a big guy that moves slow and a team that you want to go fast, and you gave him a two-year extension. I never understood that move. A lot of other people did not understand that move. But now you're stuck with those two bad contracts. Plus, on top of that, you went out and got Stan Van Gundy, who I thought that was a very questionable move because Stan seems like a coach of yesteryear. I didn't know how he was going to fit with this team. He's also a guy that is more of a play my vets, win now kind of guy when this is a team that's still in development mode. And as the season went along, you could see the problems. You talked about the spacing and everything. And they had all kinds of problems with spacing and pace and where are we going to use Zion to where it became point Zion later on in the year. You're talking about the, the amount of talent on this team, but yet they couldn't even put together a run at the end of the season to eke their way into the playoffs. So there were problems. And when you talk about having stability with an organization, I totally agree. It needs to be from the ground up. Good ownership stays out of the way. He hires the right people. They do their job. You built that good infrastructure and you have you know, all those tools there. You have everybody kind of on the same page and you're doing things the right way. And you want to build that. And it does take multiple years. It's not something that very rarely is an overnight fix, like you said. There are instances where you do need to make a change with a coach very quickly, even though I think sometimes it is a quick trigger. I agree with you about like, especially when it came to like Nate McMillan with the Pacers. But it's fewer and far between because the teams that we see that do really well Look at the Miami Heat, what they've been able to do over the last 10 years or so with Eric Spolstra. Look at what the Mavericks did, even with Carlisle being there for 13 years. I'm not saying you got to be there for a decade, 13 years or whatever, but you got to be there for a while. I, I totally get them moving on from Stan Van Gundy. They could see a problem. Bye. I, the Pacers, I don't know exactly what happened there, but they say it's a problem we can't move past one year. Oops, we made a mistake. Bye. Okay, with Nate Bjorkson. I, I get that. If it's just like a one-year boom. But the one where it's just like, okay, now we've made three coaching hires over four and a half seasons, whatever. It's like, you're not doing the right job at that point. And nope. all you're doing is making a bigger mess. Yep. You know, that's why when you look at some of the groups, like even like Portland, they had Terry Stotts there for a while. Okay, so now I get it. Okay, we feel like we need a fresh voice in the room. Okay, you've given that a fair chance, you know. Um, I'm I'm watching the Lakers situation for a variety of reasons because I think it's fascinating that they gave Frank Vogel a three-year deal. He's going into his third year, and they haven't extended him yet. And Jason's kid's sitting right there in the wings. Now, mind you, it feels like it would be kind of dirty if he did anything or, you know, kind of got in somebody's ear and the organization listened or whatever because the Lakers are kind of a – you know, they, I think they want stability. That's something that they got away from. I think they found the stability in the front office. They figured out their ownership. Now they need it on the court. I think they're going to find a way to keep Frank Vogel. I think they'll extend him. It's just, we'll see for how long that's going to be. But you look at some of these other moves that have gone on around the league, because now we have, right now we have uh, seven openings and there could be more depending on what's going to happen here in the playoffs or what other teams can do. Like the Celtics, I understand that. Brad Stevens had been there for a while. You know, he he was burnt out, wanted to change. But look what's going on in Orlando. That's a problem. Look what's going on in New Orleans. To me, that's a problem. You're not making the right hires. 
find somebody, do better research, do better something. And you got to stick with the guy. Like there's so many other good young coaches that can develop players. Like know that you shouldn't hire a coach. That's a win. Now vet guy only when you still got to develop a team, know your roster. Like if the Orlando magic went out and said, I'm going to hire Rick Carlisle. Like, why would you hire Rick Carlisle? He's not a fit for the Orlando magic. I need a young guy that's going to put in that work that knows I got to develop talent. I know it's going to be a few years. I know I got to ride this out, but I want somebody that is going to bring a fresh face to it that can is known for being a good communicator and can develop players. Yeah. And like the first thing I think about is like a, a Michael Malone, you know, when he got hired by the Nuggets and it literally took him four years, five years to get them to the Western Conference Finals. Okay. You look at a Taylor Jenkins with Memphis, right? Like they still haven't gotten to where they want to get to, but that's also because they have the second youngest team in the league. Like, you know, like these are, these are capable, you know, coaches that just need time to mold some guys. And you're right. The Stan Van Gundy thing is, is an exception. The, the Rick Carlisle move is an exception because he's been there so long, but like, again, it goes back to the organizations and I don't want anyone to take this in a way of saying like, I don't want the players to have their you know own say of where they want to go. I'm saying when the going gets tough, don't don't just give in and try to go to the next team. I'm saying deal with a little bit of adversity because that's going to help you with in the long run sometimes. I don't want them to, to suck. I don't want them to have crappy teammates and to not win. But uh, not everything it, is going to be riding a high. There's ups and downs that go exactly, along with it. Exactly. Like, I saw New Orleans this year, even with Stan Van Gundy, when they were, like, over 500. Like, you know, and things were going well. Like, I, I, I just... Uh, I, I disagree with the mentality, I guess. Um, and Well, well I know, mean, we've been sitting here in the playoffs. You know, we look at like, well, if a team didn't do that well, if they, you know, got a oh, little down 0-2, quickly, series is over. Like, like that coach has got to be gone because we sit there. Like the latest example is Denver. Okay. They get swept in the second round. Mm-hmm. Now, mind you, do you want to make an excuse that they're without Jamal Murray? You can. We see other teams that have injuries, but they, you know, they're doing okay. So, what happens to Michael Malone? Because this is two years of like following or the previous year they went to the Western Conference Finals. I don't think people necessarily expected that. You know, everybody's talking about this good, young, hungry team. And then this year they were out in the second round and they get swept. But you know what? Quite honestly, I haven't heard a lot of people talk about like, well, time to get another coach because I don't think the Nuggets are interested in doing that. I don't think Malone wants to leave. I, I, I have kind of wondered about that just because of the mentality of the NBA and seeing some teams. But I think the Nuggets are like, there's no way in hell are we going to do that. This is our guy. We're sticking with our guy. Now, mind you, could I be made to look like a fool tomorrow, a couple of days from now, a week from now? Yeah, but I don't think I don't think the Nuggets are interested in making a change. And I don't think you're hearing anything from Jokic, from Murray, from anybody and saying, well, the biggest problem here was the coach. Yeah, no, I don't think so either. Um and that was a, a ridiculously tough task for them to take down a Suns team that is clicking on all damn cylinders. Like you, you, hit you probably team. have to be full strength at that point, you know. Now, like mind the, you, so I I picked the Nuggets in that series. So I'm a I. damn idiot, obviously, because I just thought size was going to matter. But it, I was it did I was just matter. of the of the thought that mental toughness would come into play, but I clearly didn't see that team 
in the second round. Um, I mean, that the mentally yeah. tough team was Phoenix, and Chris Paul got healthier. I yeah. mean, the amazing thing about that series, in a couple of notes, is one, how they were able to somewhat minimize Jokic. Two, Porter, I don't know if he was necessarily healthy or... Yeah, he, his back was definitely bothering him, but he was trying yeah. to play through it, so... Right, and then the other thing was... Chris Paul got healthy. Yeah. And he turned into Chris Paul. I mean, he they did. never even. It was like, it was like never, game three. It was just like, yep. That's it. It was toast. I mean, <laughs> even good. when it came to Devin Booker, they never needed that big Devin Booker take over this one and win it for us game. Nope. They never needed that. Nope. They didn't. And that's, again, it's a dangerous team and it sucks. What's going on with CP3? I guess that's the next piece of news we could get to. Uh, he had a COVID. Uh, health and safety protocols apparently had a positive test, uh, according to Gambo out there in Phoenix. So uh, I don't want to really get ahead of myself because we don't know who they're playing yet. Because as Tony Jones, my buddy over at The Athletic says, the Jazz and the Clippers are involved in blood sport right now. <laughs> so, sons, you're looking at this like, okay, yeah, we want Utah and LA to go to seven. because. One, you don't know how the NBA is going to react to this because if it is the case that Chris Paul is vaccinated and he can return a negative test in a certain amount of days, I don't know how the hell it works. I'm I'm going to be completely honest. But I could see him missing one to two games, probably maximum one to two games. Honestly. Well, map it out. Okay, so if the series goes seven, the seventh game would be Sunday, right? And the first game would be Sunday uh, if that series ends and the Clippers win, okay. Remember but that. if it go, but if it goes seven, that means the first game of the Western Conference Finals would not be until Tuesday. Okay, maybe even Wednesday, but probably Tuesday. Okay, and there's three Chris- games in between these, correct? Or three days in between these in the in the in the Conference Finals? I'm mm-hmm. trying to think. There used maybe to be, in between going back be- and forth, maybe. Yeah, when you travel, I think. yes, yes. So, um. Because the positive test was on Wednesday, or he entered health and safety protocol, whatever, whatever's going on, right? By the so way, t- one of 300-plus players to test positive, by the way. Yeah. Ridiculous. Absolutely so ridiculous. It, so if if that series doesn't begin until Tuesday, you're talking about, you know, he's going to be sidelined. That, that's at least six days, okay? Mm-hmm. So maybe he only has to be out for four five, six days. Maybe he could make that. So it's, I don't think it's certain he's going to miss that game. I think even if he does, and if everything goes the way that we hope with him, when it comes to returning a, you know, a negative test or gets cleared because I, you know, Jalen Rose and some other people have said, I know Chris Paul is vaccinated. So if that's the case and the results come back the way they want, I would think, he would only miss a game at most. I'm no doctor. I'm no expert. Nothing like that. But everything that I've read and it sounds like is he might not miss a game or I think he might only miss one. Now, something could happen on the ways where they don't get the results they want and he misses more games, which would be horrible, obviously. Um, but I, I'm of the mentality. That I think it sounds like at most one game is what we're looking at right now. Yeah. No, I, I think one to two games is probably what you're looking at there, especially, you know, in the case that the NBA realizes the dude's vaccinated and you just, you know, got it. But he's probably, I'm guessing he would be asymptomatic 
because <laughs> I, you know, it, I feel like he hasn't really said anything and like, I don't know. And that's the other thing that confuses me is he was hugging all up on Monty after the series win and, you know, hugging up on his teammates. So, so like, I, I, I'm curious and I don't know if we'll ever find out, but what exactly happened here? Like, did he return a positive test? Was he around somebody that tested positive? Because the NBA never says somebody tested positive. They always say so-and-so was entered, entered you know, the protocols, health and safety yeah. protocol. And then, but then they did come out with one player has tested positive, and you're like, "Wow, well, quite the coincidence that that comes out right after they say Chris Paul has entered protocol." It's just incredibly terrible luck for him. But I, I will say this: um, I still think the Suns will be okay. We've seen the Suns without Chris Paul. Uh, we saw them basically without a healthy Chris Paul against the Lakers, and you know, campaign stepped up to the table. Uh, you saw, you know, Tory Craig do what he did. Uh, Jay Crowder is, has been a veteran leader this season uh, and in the playoffs. So, and, and, you know, I'm leaving out the head of the snake and Devin Booker here. So I still think they'll be fine, um, especially for if it's only for one to two games. Um, especially but if we it's only for one play. game. Yeah, and we got to see who they got to play. But if it's just one game, that's something you can overcome. Two games, it gets a little tougher. I'm not saying that they can't win one of those games or both those games. It just becomes that much tougher it does it does uh was there any other piece of news before we move on oh yeah the 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 good piece of news that we forgot um <laughs> and i guess we'll get to that after this because I, I don't want to go good and then go back to bad uh we also forgot to to say that uh the wizards and scott brooks parted ways so that, that yes, was another that was one. the other piece of news that happened on on the wild wednesday as we <laughs> wild now. wednesday so that that uh once again the you know, his contract was up and the Wizards and Scott Briggs can just decided uh, not to renew uh, it. Right. Agreed to terms. Yeah. So he's, you know, he's walking away, which, you know, by the way, when we talk about, you know, coaching Scott Brooks. I don't know if he's going to get another opportunity to be a head coach, especially immediately. I can easily see him as an assistant somewhere. Stan Van Gundy. I truly wonder if his coaching career is over. I, I don't think know so if too. he's going to. I don't think he's going to get another opportunity as a head coach. I was surprised he got one after what happened in Detroit where he was given total control, which was weird in its own right, just because it's not because of stance, because you just don't do that anymore in the NBA. And, um, but he got another opportunity with the Pelicans. And then now, you know, he's out there already. And I just think that Stan is going to go back to the broadcast booth in TNT and I think that's a great fit. I think Stan is very good as a broadcaster. And um, I, I don't know if another team is going to take a risk on him because he's not going to be an assistant anywhere. You know, if he's going to be a head coach somewhere, I think it's going to be with like an overseas team or, or something like that for like the Olympics or whatever. But um, yeah, I think he's going to be a broadcaster. And Scott Brooks, I don't know what his future is going to be. Um, I don't know if he'll get another head coaching you know gig. But... I think he's going to show up on somebody's staff, whether it's next season or the season after that. I don't think he's done coaching. No, I don't think so either. And he's one of the most like well-liked and well-respected guys in the league. Uh, maybe not, you know, principally, but like as a, a person and as a, uh, you know, as someone who really knows how to connect with guys. Um, I mean, you can just ask Russell Westbrook how much he means to him uh, and what he did for his career. So like, I, 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 I agree with you that I think he'll be on a bench at some point in the future. He might take a year, not year off. You never know. 
Um, but, uh, you know, as an assistant somewhere, yeah, I could see that. Um, Can we talk about one yeah. other coaching thing before you get to the good, the good piece news of news or whatever? <laughs> you, well, going back to Rick Carlisle. Yeah. Okay. And you, you mentioned your buddy said, hey, can we get him in Milwaukee to coach? So that's the rumor that's been out there. And apparently behind closed doors and suddenly somebody, you know, opened that door today with Rick Carl even going, ah, do you know the scuttlebutt around the NBA? So the rumor has been floating for weeks that if the Bucks get eliminated early, that Rick Carlisle will take over the Milwaukee job. Okay. Can we talk about doing somebody dirty right now? Because you can sit here and talk about you don't agree with the way that Coach Bud is handling things in Milwaukee, especially after that last game, you know, where they melted down against oh We're know, get there. the, We're the get superpowers there. of Kevin Durant. Well, I don't give a crap what happened in that game. If, and I'm not blaming this on Carlisle, but if there are people in Milwaukee who are already sitting there going, hey, man, I think Rick's going to be available. I don't think we're going to make it this year. Let's line. Hey, just in case we don't win at all, let's line it up. Let's make it happen. You know, he's he's out. I already know the replacement. I'm like, dude, can can you have a little faith in your guy, or at least just wait until after you know the season is over before your season is over, before your team is not playing anymore, before you sit there and start letting rumors fly? Because I mean, somebody's talking about it already. I don't think this is just a case of. Oh, people are theorizing because if you're saying like the rumor's been out there for a couple of weeks now, this means that there are people in the organization that are saying, we don't make it. We can't change anything more in this roster. So the coach is gone. Okay. We could sit here in the media and kind of think, I think Bud could be in trouble if they don't win it all or at least make a long run. But to start hearing that people are talking about it within the organization or whatever, that's wrong. And you're doing somebody dirty. It's a dirty business. I was just about to say that, Brian. It's a dirty business. And yes, there's that, some that's leaks like, coming out. That's like Jason Kidd dirty taking oh. that Milwaukee job years ago. Because remember what he did to the then was it? Nets. Were they still the new? Were they no, still the Brooklyn. New Jersey? It was Brooklyn. It was Brooklyn. Oh, they're Brooklyn. Okay. Mm-hmm. The way that he uh, he departed Brooklyn to get the Milwaukee job. Mm. Underhanded mm. tactics, my friend. Underhanded tactics. Okay. Get to the that good was, news now. I was say that was 40 minutes. That was 40 minutes of bad news. Okay. We didn't say one positive related thing other. Okay. Other than the stars being born. Okay. That was like the one thing we talked about. That was good. Right. Hey, Everything Rick Carl else had a great firing. run in Dallas. He did. He won a championship. He did, but people aren't going to appreciate that now because what have you done for me lately? That That's literally our society. That's what we do. That's true. So, uh, but the good piece of news uh, and one that makes me look a little bit foolish. The rookie of the year got announced and LaMelo Ball won. He won uh, pretty convincingly from what I understand. And uh, yeah, the first place votes, he had 84 and Anthony Edwards had 15. So I would have been one of those 15. Uh, but at the same time, you know, well-deserved award for LaMelo. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm happy for him. Everyone took me writing that article about Anthony Edwards as a slight towards LaMelo ball. That was nowhere near the case. Uh, I even put their stats side by side, tried to make it as fair as possible. Uh, I just thought that Anthony Edwards, uh, his availability having, you know, 20 plus games on LaMelo 
uh, was certainly something that was trending towards him winning that award. But then you had LaMelo surprisingly come back from the wrist injury. Uh, I didn't think that he was going to get all those games under his belt and get an opportunity to go into the play-in and do those, you know, be able to get some of those games under his belt. So, you know, with LaMelo coming back, it's absolutely conceivable that he would win this award. Um, I I described this to Alex the other day on the live stream that we did. Basketballnews.com live stream, by the way. Sponsored by BetQL. Uh, But uh, it was that LaMelo is this ball handling, finesse, flashy, like really, really fun player who stuffs the stat sheet. He gets rebounds. He has some ridiculous assists. His vision is outstanding. Uh, you know, whether it's full court vision, uh, passing and pick and rolls, finding guys on the lob like like you know Miles Bridges, he's got it all. You know, the jumper and the shot selection, it can be better, and it's going to get better. I think defensively as well, he's you know made strides, uh, especially for thinking that we he wouldn't put any effort in. I just think it's more of a lack of awareness, and that's obviously fixable with someone who's 19, 20 years old. Now we get to the youngest player in the draft class, which is the number one pick of 2020. That's Anthony Edwards. Anthony Edwards is more of your in-your-face type. He's very, his, his fire and his, his, his determination and his energy is just very slug you right in the jaw. Like, you know, like he's going to pop out. Uh, it, it, it's not that he does things pretty. He does things because he's not going to stop trying to do things, which, which I admire because not a lot of guys have that mentality. You look at the efficiency versus inefficiency stuff. Newsflash, actually, in the second half of the season, Anthony Edwards got much more efficient. He shot the ball much better, averaged over 21 points a game, and he was you know making some big plays. I think that he saved his best for the big stages. I remember the game against the Lakers that he had. I remember the game against um, the Warriors that he had going, you know, toe-to-toe uh, with someone like a Steph Curry and dunking all over uh, the city of, of uh, <laughs> well, I guess they're not in Oakland, but they're in the Bay. Uh, I, I just think that Anthony Edwards uh, got too much flack and, he was definitely closer to LaMelo in this race than I think a lot of people had him. And that includes NBA voters because literally only 15 voted him uh, for first place. Uh, I don't think the gap was that significant. But granted that LaMelo came back and, you know, was able to put those games under his belt uh, and, you know, meet the minimum requirements. There's no reason. And either guy could have won this award is what I'm saying. You could not make a wrong decision. I thought LaMelo was going to win. I thought he deserved to win. But, I mean, Anthony Edwards, obviously, as the season went on, he really put up some bigger numbers. And I, sometimes you can have those, you know, empty stats because his team was struggling. I mean, he was with the T-Wolves and everything. But uh, I thought LaMelo did enough to win it. You know, I, I, I thought it was going to be a little bit closer than that. But, I mean, LaMelo was, you know, by far and away leading, you know, for that award before he got injured. Then he was able to come back. Yeah. See, one of the things too, for LaMelo, I thought is not only is he a point guard, I think, which is always going to tip the scales a little bit more because you got the ball in your hands, but also that his team was winning and And he was a big part of that that against, you shouldn't hold that against somebody. But I also look at the teammates that LaMelo had uh, in Gordon Hayward and Terry Rozier and 
you know, Devontae Graham and PJ Washington coming out of nowhere and Miles Bridges. Those guys were on one this year. Meanwhile, you look at the Timberwolves, you had, you know, Cat, who was, you know, in and out early. You had D'Angelo Russell, who missed a lot of the season. Like, he had, it was him and a lot of young players that were trying to navigate this. Then you had the coaching change. Like, I think that for him to have gone through that and to still have produced the numbers that he did, I have more of an appreciation for that, I guess. Sure. Um, but and I don't think it was a wrong tough. choice. And like you said, you know, you wrote that piece and people think, oh, you don't like Lamelo. I'm like, no, you can praise one guy. And still like without, another. Yeah, yeah, and still like another. You're not putting the other guy down. He was making a point for one guy. And, you know, like I said, I thought Lamelo was going to win. Um, I thought he was the right choice. But it wasn't like it would have been like this horrible decision no. if Edward, Edwards had won. No, no. And. The, the the way I think that I look at it is, you know, LaMelo, the opportunity that came his way and to have the, you know, veterans that he had, I think that's a little advantageous. And again, you can't hold it against him. Um, but like, I am looking at it from this lens of Anthony Edwards was a damn fish out of water. <laughs> like they had, they made him the go-to guy right away and credit to the dude because he didn't stop shooting. He never stopped shooting, and then he started to playmake, and then he started to put it on the floor. Defensively, he's got a long way to go, don't get me wrong, but that entire team has a long way to go there. And uh, I think Chris Finch actually did a decent job with him, you know, the the last handful of games there. So we'll see where that goes. Um, But LaMelo, with what he did with those teammates is what you have to look at in a positive light. And you see him, you know, really thrive. And that playoff experience and the experience at the end of the season where they came up just a little short, that's going to benefit him so much going into next year and the year after that. You know, think about the Hornets getting someone uh, who's who's a center that will consistently play every night instead of having a turnstile at the five. Um, you look at his teammates getting one more year of experience as well uh, with PJ and with Miles Bridges. Terry Rozier, you know, Gordon Hayward, hopefully being healthy, then, you know, you've got a look, a good look at, at that squad. Um, so yeah, I, I, I just wanted to clear the air there because there were a lot of people and I'm sure we can revisit an old podcast from when I actually wrote the article, but they were like, you are stupid. And I'm like, why? I just said, I liked the one guy. I didn't say I hated the other. Stay away. LaMelo hive. Stay away. Stay away. <laughs> but um okay i think that we hit on every piece of news do we not i don't think that we missed anything uh that is everything Kawhi leonard is officially out for the clippers uh tomorrow night in game six okay thank you for the report there brian back to you it, it no, literally just, just hit my phone it literally <laughs> no, just hit my phone right before you said that which is i know i don't i wanted to go all news anchor voice news anchor voice and breaking news you, sponsor i have it confirmed yes my source is saying this is confirmed Kawhi leonard <laughs> officially out for the los angeles clippers in their next game against the utah jazz you know back what to you let's actually start there because we're gonna talk about two series that will still be going by the time this podcast goes up okay so let's start with jazz clippers um, where do you want to begin? Because Jazz went up 2-0, just like the Mavericks went up 
And then the Clippers came back and made it three to two. Now they didn't do that against the Mavs. The Mavs won game five and then Clippers won two in a row after that. But still, the mentality and the the wherewithal and the adjustments and the the depth that these Clippers have, I've been trying to tell people. And I'm not, you know, I don't want to be that guy to pat myself on the back, but I'm going to do it today. I'm going to do it today because there are so many people, and I said it last week on this very podcast after game one, when everyone talked about Kawhi missing the shot and PG not doing enough, I set the record straight. I said, guys, he's just missing jump shots. Sure, he's settled a couple of times, but, you know, they kind of came off of a game seven where they had a day in between traveling from Dallas to Utah, and then the guys were absolutely tired. So what's happened since? Paul George has looked like his Indiana self, let's be honest. He's not only continuing to drive to the hole and play make. Huge part of that, by the way, Chauncey Billups working with him. So very good job on his part. But PG is taking it to the rim, especially every time that Rudy Gobert is not in the game. He's going right at Derek Favors. Everyone's going at Derek Favors, honestly. But... PG's taking it to the rim, and when he doesn't have a look, he's slinging it to the corner. There's corner shooters there. They're not making many corner threes, by the way. A lot of them have been on the elbow. But uh, he's doing that. He's getting to the free throw line. The jumper's coming along, because what happens when you work inside? Your outside shot starts going. You look at the Clippers, guys, other than him. You know, we're leaving Kawhi in the the past here because we don't know the severity of this injury. Hopefully, it's just a sprain. Maybe he can get back for the Western Conference Finals if they win this series. We shall see. But yeah, we're, we're leaving still him to the, what yeah. the news about the MRI because we don't. It's weird that it's like he could be back, you know, in the playoffs, or he could have a torn to ACL and miss most of next year as well. So yeah, there's, we, we there's, shall see. There's a little wiggle room. Yeah. Yes. But then you look at the others on the Clippers that have been doing a lot. My God, Reggie Jackson continuing to just fill it up. This dude is hitting, not only is he hitting shots, he's hitting very important key shots. Like when the Jazz were mounting that comeback in game five, he hit uh, a three. I think he hit a mid-ranger. He drove into Rudy Gobert and finished with a reverse. These were big-time plays. And then you look at Marcus Morris, someone I've been asking a lot more of, after, you know, a not so great showing in the first, you know, few games of that series against Dallas where he was just off. Well, Marcus has gotten going in this se- in this series particularly against the Jazz. Uh whether it's been on the block, uh you know, shooting the mid-rangers or shooting the threes, he has started to find it. You look at Ty playing guys like Luke Kennard. Luke Kennard he didn't even play in the first like five games against Dallas. And now he's like firmly back into the rotation. Uh, Terrence Mann stepping up to the plate. Boy, oh boy. Did you see, I don't know if you saw my tweet, but you know how John Morant tried to dunk on Rudy Gobert every single game of that series in the first round. Well, John Moran walked. So Terrence Mann could run and fly because Terrence Mann crammed all over, all over Rudy Gobert. In game five, and that was a, it was another pivotal moment of that game. So these Clippers are stepping up, man. They're doing some big things. Pat Beverly scrapping for the ball and, and deflecting passes. 
This Jazz team right now, what I am seeing, at least since Donovan Mitchell went down with that, you know, ankle injury, and he's playing through it. By God, he's playing through it, and you know, ad- admire him so much. Hopefully, he doesn't aggravate it or anything like that. But we saw at the end of Game Two how he went down, and you know, lo and behold, the series has shifted since. I'm seeing a lot of pull-ups, Brian. I'm seeing a lot of pull-up shots from Donovan Mitchell. I'm not seeing a whole lot of attack mode from Donovan Mitchell, which tells me one thing. He doesn't think he has the burst to get by guys at the moment, which that's a killer for them because Mike Conley is not around. Mike Conley's still nursing an injury. Hopefully he can get back in time uh, if this series isn't over by then. Uh, But that's really killing the jazz because the jazz are at their best when they are flicking the ball around uh, and, and swinging and uh, moving it around the perimeter. That is when they're at their best. Like they have shooters. We saw what Bojan Bogdanovic did in the first quarter. He had 18 freaking points out of the gate right away in that game. Uh, You know, Jordan Clarkson, we know what he could do. He, He had a really, really rough second half in game five. Uh, but we know what he can do and turn the corner. Like my buddy brought this up to me too, because because you know just watching it. Other than Donovan Mitchell and maybe Joe Ingles, who's their other ball handler, is the question at the moment. And I think that that's really affecting their offense. And then when you look at the defensive end, Ty Lue has done an excellent job of scheming out Rudy Gobert. He's playing five out. Nick Batum's been on the floor. I saw a stat the other day that was crazy about Nick Batum being on the floor and Rudy Gobert being off and Rudy Gobert being on. Like, there were some major pluses. I want to pull it up, but there are so many nuances that Ty has figured out, and it keeps on going back to it. Hey, guess what? If the Clippers fall down in the 0-2 in their next series, how about we don't write them off this time, okay, jackasses? Well, there's a lot that went on in this series. You know, we can sit here and talk about how the Donovan Mitchell injury has really affected us because he was on fire and so good. You know, those first couple of games, he looked like um, someone that was just going to go crazy, um, you know, throughout this entire series. Um, But unfortunately, he gets banged up. But Todd Lou made the adjustment with his team going back home for game three. Says, we're going to go small. That's it. Zubats is not going to start. We're going to go small. And I know they've got Gobert, but this is this is our best five. And like you said, guys have stepped up. You know, um, you know, Kawhi obviously even, you know, was playing his game. PG has played well, but guys like Reggie Jackson and Marcus Morris, they played very, very well. And then, you know, they even the series up, and then Kawhi is out. And you instantly think like the Clippers are done. Like without Kawhi, without their best guy, you know, they're they're just gonna fold here, you know. But instead they said, no, that that's not us. That's in the past. We can step up, we can do this on the road, you know, you know, hostile territory in Utah. And, you know, they shoot fifty one percent from the field, forty percent from threes. They hit timely threes when they needed to. They really took control of that game, you know, in the third quarter. They outscore Utah thirty two to eighteen. We could sit here and talk about like Donovan Mitchell was banged up and they're missing Mike Connolly, which is a huge thing because they, they need his scoring. They need his leadership on the court as well. But the Jazz defense falling apart the way they has in the last couple of games, and especially in game five, when Kawhi Leonard is not on the court, is a problem. And I mean, I want to give the Clippers 
all the credit in the world because they're hitting shots. You still have to hit shots, even if you're wide open. But the Jazz are giving them too many open looks, and the Clippers are taking advantage of this. And I've, I've been so disappointed in the Jazz because I was one of the guys that was like, I don't think this is a Jazz team from the past. They've, you know, they've gelled their chemistry, everything that goes into it. That's why they had, you know, the best record in the, uh, in the NBA. I think they're going to make it to at least the Western conference finals. And then I thought that they were even going to make it to the finals once the Lakers had their problems and just kind of reading the tea leaves. But I, I don't, I mean, that's where the jazz, if they're going to do something, it's on that end of the court. You could sit there and make all your excuses in the world, but you can't be giving up that many points that many open looks i mean if you want to make the right guy take the shot and they make it so be it but there's just too many open looks to yeah. me um, yeah, that, that they're are. giving the clippers the clippers are taking advantage of it yep and i, I just wanted to put forth that stat that i was talking to it's courtesy of justin russo uh he covers the clippers uh good dude for the series with nicholas batum on and rigo bear on in 112 minutes the clippers plus 20 Nick Batum on and Gobert off in 46 minutes. Clippers plus 26. With Nick Batum off and Rudy Gobert on in 60 minutes, the Jazz plus 18. So there's your story. Ty Lue counted countered with Nick Batum, and it's worked. It's worked. So and now they've got game six yep. in LA on Friday night. Yep. The Clippers can close this series up or the Jazz can try to even it up. I'm going to be curious to see what Jazz team do we see. I I don't know how close Mike Conley is to returning. I don't know well, if he well, fixes all I got you on that, problems. actually. Breaking okay. news. <laughs> Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell are both questionable for game six. It's two different kinds of questionable, though, because Mitchell has played and Conley has not. But questionable... That makes it sound like he wants to at least give it a go. Yeah, same. But even then, it's just like, how effective will you be? Right. The Clippers have just turned the corner on the series so much that even without Kawhi, and they've shown that they're the don't you can't question the men, the mental toughness part thing at this point and the way that they're playing. It's going to be a tough task for Utah whether they have those guys in the court or not. So. Agreed. But, Agreed. By the way, if you want some breaking news, I have some breaking news for you. We don't have to delve into too much. The all rookie teams are out as we're recording. Oh, okay. No, yeah, I got the. Uh, I got. I can pull up the picture here. I'll just uh, say it for our audience. First team: Lamelo Ball and Anthony Edwards. Surprise, surprise. Tyrese Halliburton, Sadiq Bay, and the pride of Ohio State, the Buckeye himself, Jay Sean Tate. What a job he did for the Rockets this year. So congratulations to those five. The second team, it is headed by Emmanuel Quickly, Desmond Bain, Patrick Williams, Cleveland's own Isaac Okoro, and Isaiah Stewart of the I was going to say your own Isaac Okoro. Cleveland's. Cleveland's. Cleveland's own in the sense of uh, this is where he plays basketball. He is actually from Georgia. Mm. <laughs> so, but yeah, no, uh, appreciate you bringing that up. Uh, it ruined my segue, though, because you said, how effective is he going to be? How effective is Mike Conley going to be as questionable? Um, similar situation went down in Brooklyn, right? Brooklyn with James Harden. And uh, we saw that what happened in game five. The first half, he could not do anything. He could 
he was turning the ball over a lot. Uh, he was a defensive liability. He, you know, made some passes here or there, but they weren't very crisp. He didn't put, he didn't dribble more than like twice. Then the second half happened and Harden actually looked pretty decent. You know, he wasn't stopping and going. He wasn't, hey, listen, he wasn't stopping and going, but he was finding cutters. He was still drawing some attention. He couldn't shoot for crap, but you know, I get that because you look at a hamstring, you're not going to get lift off of, off of your, your feet. When you shoot a jumper, everything's going to be flat. Uh, But you know, Harden did a good job for what he was supposed to do. Now, should he have played all the time that he did? Probably not. Uh, But you know, we're kind of burying the lead here. Well, by the way, (laughs) when it comes to Harden, I think he had to play 46 minutes or he had to play a lot because they were afraid to sit him down. They were afraid to, that the hamstring would get cool. And that's the last thing they wanted. So he was out there, you know, on a bad wheel. And I give them credit for adjusting to what they did in the second half because they did move him to the top of the key and they set him up to where he could, you know, feed other guys, especially Kevin Durant. So that, that was a smart move. But the guy was out there and I mean, he wanted to be out there. He could play, but he was less than 50% of what he normally is. Because like you said, he couldn't shoot. He couldn't get any burst to drive. He wasn't going left or right. He was going north, south and most, he wasn't stopping and going smartly, smartly. Right. Because I mean, you don't do that. And that's one of the problems that the bucks had that night. And there was a lot of problems in the way that they, defended in the way they did a lot of different things um, in that game. But that was one of them is that I thought you can lay off of James Harden and make him a shooter. It's one of the few times you want to, you want James Harden to shoot because and I would play the passing with- lanes up to him because I, yeah. he was not going to drive and he was not shooting well, but yeah. like we you are said, definitely, we're burying the lead. We are burying the lead. Okay. We, we, we don't know what's going to happen uh, in what is going to be a half hour. Okay. But I know James Kevin, Harden is starting. Yes. I saw that too. But what Kevin Durant did that night and I wrote about, you know, I think it was a fair question that morning. I, didn't, I wasn't challenging him and thinking he didn't, he couldn't do it. But I was saying, statistically, this is going to be really hard. You're going to have to play the role of facilitator. You're going to have to play the role of, of of passer, you're gonna have to play the role of scorer. You have to play pretty much every damn role with Kyrie Irving out and James Harden being on a bad bad leg, right? Kevin Durant did it. <laughs> Kevin Durant did it and delivered uh, probably his best performance of his career to this point. Just thinking about the stakes, thinking about you know the attention that was being drawn. We continue to not talk about this guy. Uh, enough coming off of an Achilles injury, an Achilles injury, guys, uh, and being better than his previous self. He's one of the most lethal pull-up shooters in the league. I shouldn't say one of the most. He is the most lethal pull-up shooter in the league, uh, no matter what distance. Uh, He can shoot over anybody. He still is able to defend uh, just with his length, and uh, just really disruptive in that in that matter. I thought his vision was excellent in Game Five. I think that you know he nab what was it nabbed seventeen rebounds. Like it was just a, a incredible performance. 
Now, I mean, he, the stat lines 49, 17, and 10, along with three steals, two blocks, all while playing every the whole game. second of that game, something that Steve Nash knew he had to do, hated doing it, but understood it from being a former player and also asking KD, I'm sure, like, are you good for this? And he was like, yep, I got it. <laughs> true that, true that. But, I mean, just, you know, kudos to him. I, you know, had asked the question. And I was just like, this is going to probably be the first time that KD has, quote-unquote, gone it alone uh, since 2012-13 when Westbrook went down with his injury. And uh, lo and behold, the first KD performance we see where he doesn't have, you know, a Robin to his Batman with him. And he exceeded all expectations. Even though people that didn't expect him to have this ability, uh, newsflash for you, you're pretty pretty short-sighted uh, if you didn't know how good Kevin Durant was. You can't let your disdain of Kevin Durant because of decisions that he made take away from the, the ability that he has on that basketball floor and the just the, the pure talent that he possesses, you can't say, oh, because he joined a super team, he doesn't have what it takes. No, don't say that. You can, you can absolutely criticize the decision to do so and to have handled his career that way, but you can't, you can't take away from the talent the guy has. And I think that, that game five was a way to stick it to everybody to say, uh, it doesn't matter whether I'm on a super team or if I have to be all by myself, I can do it. So there's nothing I need to prove to any of you guys. So you had KD, but then you also had Uncle Jeff. Uncle Jeff, the hero of the game, just knocking down three after three after three. Didn't matter if the Bucks were up by 20 at any point, and it didn't matter when the Bucks were starting to trail. Jeff Green, that dude, kudos to him, man. And you know what's cool about this as, as far as the Brooklyn thing goes? KD and Jeff Green, they came into the league together, man. They were Seattle Sonics. And they they were, you know, pegged to be the, you know, the future of that franchise. Obviously, Kevin Durant more, but Jeff Green was there with him. So those two are extremely close. And personally, having covered Jeff Green in Cleveland when he was a part of the 17-18 team, I saw, you know, the determination he had. I, I did want to put this out there that I think it's absolutely ridiculous that this guy has not had a multi-year deal in like five years. That's stupid. He should, if anything, you look at what he's made collectively in these one-year deals over the last half decade, and you see that you're telling me a team couldn't give him a two-year deal or a three-year deal for a guy who, one, not only fits the modern NBA, two, still has the athleticism. He's dunking all over guys. We've seen it all year. Uh, three, can defend one through five. And uh, yeah, four, probably great locker room guy. So what, what gives? Why was he never able to get a multi-year deal I saw that there was an article uh, with Sopan uh, of uh, I can't believe I can't remember what outlet he writes for, but Sopan did uh, did a great piece about Jeff Green uh, and not having gotten a multi-year deal. And it was a question I've asked for years and years and years. I know that he was almost out of the league after the Jazz let him go, but the Rockets picked him right back up. 
he probably could have signed with the Rockets. He probably could have, you know, signed a, a, a deal somewhere else. But I, why not multiple years of security for a guy who's been consistent over the last, I'd say, three or four years? Those things are happen all the time in the NBA. That's one of the weird things because Jeff Green was labeled for a while as like, a guy that would be very up and down. We saw that like with Boston, he can be infuriating sometimes, but those last couple of years, I think he's figured out his game a little bit more. He knows his role. And by the way, the nets do not win that game without him keeping them in that game in the first half. No, he kept them in that game. I mean, Kevin Durant obviously won that game for them. He powered that game for them. But Jeff Green kept them in that game at a point where they easily could have been blown out even more when Milwaukee was really going. You know, when you talk about Kevin Durant, too, it's not only all the talent that we saw on the floor. And, you know, you talk about him being this lethal shooter and getting to the court. You can see the smarts more than ever before. He is one of the smartest players in the NBA as well. He can see all the pieces moving. And that's why he put up, you know, that incredible game. It wasn't just that the performance itself, it's knowing where to be. It's knowing when to take the shots, knowing when to turn the corner. It's knowing when to set up this guy, um, all the different things. He put it all on display. Now on the flip side, if we want to take a moment to criticize, I have no idea what in the hell was going on for Milwaukee. Oh, thank you. Standpoint, when oh, they, God. when they're blowing them out, and I'm sitting there, and it's just like, I am not a head coach, but I see some basic stuff here. Okay, Kevin Durant is on fire. I mean, on fire. I mean, there's flames shooting out of his butt right now, okay? And you don't change it up from the standpoint, like, at that point, I'm just like, the hell with it. I am double teaming this dude. I don't give a crap who shoots the ball. I don't care. Somebody else. Beat this dude. And if he beats me off a double team, then I'm trying. I'm going to put Giannis on him. At least, if you're not going to double team, put your best defender on him the entire time because all they're doing otherwise is he's creating switches and doing what he wants. Put Giannis on him and tell him, like, fight over every freaking screen, do everything you can, all your defensive prowess, do it. They did not do that. Plus, the, the other thing that just drove me nuts from the standpoint of what Milwaukee was doing is you've got a guy on the other team who's on one leg and you don't target this guy every time down the court. Come on. This dude's on one leg. He sucks on defense anyway. That's the rap against James Harden. He's a horrible defender. This dude's a horrible defender and is out there on one leg. And you don't sit there and say every time down the court, I'm going after this guy. I don't care who he's guarding. I don't, I don't care. You know, if he wants to guard, if he's on Giannis, if he's on holiday, I don't, I don't care who he's guarding. I don't care. If it's Pat Connaughton. Guess what? Clear out, take it to the hole against this dude. Okay. Take him. Yeah. Because it's, he, it's, it's he's right a there. wounded guy out. He's a wounded animal out there. And you don't sit there and say, I'm going right after that guy. That's exactly what you should do. And it's just ridiculous that the Bucks just said, oh, we're going to keep running our offense. Do, 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 do. Oh, wait, 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 just- wait, 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 wait,
So before I get into the Bucks offense, offense, I've, whatever I've got, that I've was, got my two second half, two quoting hand gestures going on right now. Yep. Uh, to your point on Giannis needs to defend Durant. Um, Kirk Goldsberry came out with a uh, chart today. Out of 43 defenders that have been the closest defender on at least 50 Kevin Durant shots in the player tracking era, which is since 2013-14. Please don't make me look too bad. Please don't make me look too bad. Giannis has allowed the lowest field goal percentage. Yes. So, might be worth a try. What do you think, guys? But hey, my problem was not was not on the defensive end. My problem is, and it continues to be the same problem, is how stubborn these players, I can't even put it on Coach Bud anymore, is how stubborn these players are about going away from what works. They see it in front of their eyes. When you pass the ball more than three times against the Brooklyn Nets, you score the basketball. When when you set a screen, one screen. I'm asking for one damn screen. Or you you do a dribble handoff like they did to Pat Connaughton late in the fourth. You do any sort of action. You can beat the Nets' defense. Anytime the Nets see Giannis grab the ball from 20 feet out, they sit there and in their heads, they have like the clapping monkey with the symbols. They're so happy. Like, yes. Yes, yes. Like, I mean, because that's what they want. I'm watching this game. Like, I'm I'm sorry. I I don't mean to cut you off, but like, no. I'm watching this game and I see the Nets. They're cutting into the lead because Kevin Durant's going, you know, crazy. And Jeff Green is hitting every three. But, you know, they're cutting it down to 15. They're cutting it down to 12. And I'm like, all right, there's like four, four minutes left in the third quarter. Bucks are fine. Bucks are fine. They're coming down here and shooting shots within one second, two seconds of the shot clock. I'm like, why are you guys rushing? I see Drew Holiday pull up for a three. I see Chris Middleton go one-on-one with Kevin Durant and try to shoot a contested shot. I see Brooke Lopez shooting this three when he gets a swing to the corner. And mind you, I don't mind swings to the corner to Brooke Lopez. I think that those are you know good looks. But they rush. I don't get what, I don't get how they get so rattled Anytime something happens on the other end, maybe it's a road thing. We'll see. I don't know. But the fact that these guys are taking shots when there's 23, 22 seconds left on the shot clock and they're in control of the game. I said it last week. I'm going to say it again here, Brian. I have never seen a team fight an uphill battle while winning like the Milwaukee Bucks. I have never seen it. I don't know how you fix it because it's not it's not all Bud. I know that we want to look at Bud as the you know the main scapegoat, but when you look at the decisions that these players are making on their own, including Giannis, by the way, kudos to the Greek freak. He finally realized that he can't shoot, so he stopped taking eight pull-up three-pointers. But that's beside the fact. When you see Chris Middleton attacking Kevin Durant instead of James Harden, when you see Drew Holiday 
going into the teeth of Blake Griffin instead of James Harden. You brought it up already. Why didn't you attack the guy who's on one leg? Why aren't you running actions, running an offense? You saw it work. You saw it work at home. You saw it work in the first quarter. How do you forget that? How? I don't understand it. And it gives me a headache every time I watch this team because I've not paid attention to the Bucs like I have in, the, in these playoffs. And to see what they did against Miami and to do it with domination and to do it crisply and to do it the way that they've been doing it on defense. They've had good defensive. They've done a good defensive job in this series. But offensively, for them to just continuously insist upon going one-on-one every time down and taking the dumbest shots possible, this is what's going to be their undoing. It's infuriating to watch. It absolutely is. And I was really surprised in seeing the way that Drew Holiday could not step up in that game as well. When they were in those moments, because we've all praised Drew Holiday and being like that missing piece of what they needed um, on offense and kind of being a leader. And when they're in a tough moment that he can help them get out of it and everything. And to see him not be able to step up shooting an air ball and making a bad decision or whatever. I, I was really surprised by that. And it was just part of watching that team kind of fall apart. while the Nets were stepping up and some of that, some of that's a mental thing. I think some of that is just, you know, you got to believe in it. You know, it's, you know, I know that like momentum is against you, you know, at that time, but, um, it was disappointing, and I, I think we're going to be curious. I know this game is coming up, you know, here as, right after we're recording this, and so we'll have to see it kind of in the rearview mirror and talk about it the next time, you know, but I'm going to be curious to see if this is a Milwaukee team that's going to be able to step back up on their home court. And and by the way, too, I also kind of wonder, I don't think the Nets are going to not try, but I do wonder if if this game gets out of hand early, like if Milwaukee takes, like, say they – Say they're on fire, they're at home, and they go up by 20. Bryn Forbes goes for 30. <laughs> right. Say the Nets are super tired. Because the Nets, I mean, that that game took a lot out of, you know, Durant. I'm not saying that they're not, you know, he's still, you know, at the top of his powers. But with everything going on there with the Harden injury and everything, I wonder how quickly do they pull the plug and say, you know what? We got game seven on our house. Let's get rested. Let's see if we can get a little bit more healthy. And let's take care of business there. If things are not going the way they want early on in game six. By the way, here's a transition for you. Talking about teams that are disappointing and falling apart. Can we talk about them Philadelphia 76ers? Because the last remaining playoff series that we have to address. And um, if you want to talk about a team melting down, like this was the Wizard of Oz. I'm melting. That's what we saw in that game. Is it? Be- it was crazy to watch that, man. I was so, just, I, can I just say that those two games were carbon copies? Yes. The Sixers got out to double digit leads. But the Philly one was worse. It, it was. Me. It was. It was because so it was a 26 point game. Yes. Yes. I agree. It, it, like, I mean, Philly was up 22 at the half. 
They were up six or uh, 18 going into the fourth quarter. And then they get outscored 40 to 19 in the final quarter. And and this is a game too where Embiid had 17 in the first half or first quarter, I believe. And he had that eye of the tiger look in his face. Like, oh, he was going right at Clint Capella because Capella came out and said, what happens when there's a little fatigue and boom, there's right, a little right, bit right. of a rivalry. He's I like, did want to make win this, this game. I want to, I want to make this note though, Brian. There were two players on the Sixers to make a shot in the second half. Yes. Joel Only Embiid, two. Seth Curry. That was it. Seth and Curry that's went the off point I wanted to bring up too. And uh, Embiid had, had 37 30. total. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, so, they accounted yeah. for 73 other points. Here's one of the major problems with the Sixers. And, and the weird thing is, it's about Ben Simmons. And we've seen Ben have a really good offensive game in this series. We have seen it. But we haven't seen it in the last couple of games. And we've seen this too many times from him in that you are a superstar in this league. He is now a superstar, though, that not only cannot shoot well, but now is refusing to shoot. He is refusing to shoot the ball. He was two for four in this game. How is Ben Simmons not getting out on a break and attacking the rim? How is he not even in their half-court offense running off screens, running off action, and driving to the rim? How is he not at least getting into the post? I mean, this is ridiculous that he is not being more aggressive on offense. I'm not saying you got to shoot because obviously he doesn't want to shoot the ball from distance. He can't shoot the ball from distance. It's a mental thing. It's all of that. Say whatever you want. But he has the gifts to get to the rim. He And the problem is he's not even trying. He's, he's not allergic. trying. He's allergic. I'm like, what is going? He did it in the game earlier in the series where he dominated getting to the rim. I'm like, Get to the freaking rim. What is going on here, man? I don't understand what is going on in his head. And what the other thing that's wild, too, is while the Hawks have so many different weapons, it's an individual thing. But, I mean, the Sixers had three guys named to the all-defensive first and second team, and yet they can't stop the Hawks. When the Hawks get in this groove, they, for whatever reason, the Sixers cannot get stops. It's tough. Like, it's how tough. are you not? I mean, you're not getting stops and your offense now has become stagnant outside of two guys. I mean, you're still putting up points, but like, it's not enough. I mean, they, they put up 106. I mean, the way that game was going early on, they put up 38 points in the first quarter and you're yeah. thinking, man, they're going to light them up. But I mean, well, they only put up 19 in the fourth been, quarter. Their physicality has been enforced in the first halves of the last two games. You see it. Atlanta's overwhelmed and outsized. But then, in both second halves, they just kept going. They just kept playing. And then well, we eventually... Sit about mental, you know, we sit there about mental toughness about teams. And last year, we picked on the Clippers and questioned them into this year. Mm-hmm. you got to go to those same question marks to Philly. Oh, God. And you, know, you know what it's going to come down to. Who's the coach, Brian? I go. know. It's Doc Rivers. And that I, I know that that's what people are going to look at and everything like, you know, that, that is, that's the tie between the two of them. I don't know how that game got away from them, but you can uh, see Tobias it. needed to be better in the second half. She's uh, got to be a lot better. He had to be a lot better. They, 
they need that other weapon. You know, they they need somebody else to step up and get some points. He went two for eleven and only had four points. He's not being aggressive enough here because I'd look at Atlanta as well. I mean, they're not some team that can necessarily shut you down. So how are you not attacking these guys and getting to the rim more? It just feels like Philly is settling for way too many things. And then, and then, I mean, Embiid missed the layup at the end of the game there. Um, I do want to say with Atlanta, I think that we need to gain a little bit of an appreciation uh, for what is happening right now. I saw a tweet saying that, you know, what Trey Young's doing at this age right now is something we haven't seen since Dwayne Wade. Um, at that age. But I mean, they're uh, just tough. Like, I mean, look at this because they, they don't bang down. I mean, they, they, they hit big shots. They don't feel like they're out of games. It's, I mean, Trey is obviously leading that, but like John Collins reason, and stuff. That, you say you know, reason, reason they got back into that game was Lou Williams. Lou Williams had right. an amazing fourth quarter. That's that was one of the best the playoff game. games he's ever had. Quite oh, honestly. Yeah. I mean, he scored 15 points, but Lou will has, you know, got the stink on him that he's horrible in the playoffs. I mean, say what you want, but you look at his plus minus, he was a plus 31. Huge. In that game Huge. in 23 minutes. But I mean, you know, Jason Collins stepped up, or excuse me, John Collins stepped up and had some big moments, you know, in that game as well. Gallinari had one of his better games. I mean, and, the and huge turnaround it's, shot. it's yeah. a rotating cast, you know, because Bogdanovich didn't have a huge game, but he's had him in the past, like in this series, you know, um, Capella has had better games and he stepped up and, but they, I'm loving not, what I mean, Onyeka Okongwu is bringing to this, it, by the way. Yeah, I mean, you expect it from Trey every night, but you get different guys as the accompanying two or three, you know, on other nights. And they know, like, if this guy's not going, I've got somebody else. And they believe, even when we're down in these games, there isn't a lead they can't overcome. And this one, it, it almost looked like a lost cause in the first half, but they're kind of sticking around and sticking around. And even when you went into the fourth quarter, you're sitting going, okay, they're down by, you know, 18. But the way that they, they closed, st- though, they, oh, like, it, they, it was like, and it, yeah, it wasn't even like, a, well, even at the beginning of the first quarter, fourth quarter, it was, it was still like a pretty big lead. But then like suddenly you could see it like shrinking. Like once it got to like I think the ten minute mark, nine minute mark, that's when they started to do it. You could see it unraveling a little bit. Then next thing you know, it just started rolling downhill, and Philly did not know what to do. They, they really did. They, they did not know what to do. They got hit. It just they got, got out hit. of hand. It was just like and they didn't hit back. No, 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 they didn't. And as soon as Atlanta took you know control of that game, I don't think they you know besides Seth Curry making a shot at a, at a, the end of a shot clock buzzer. I think that was like the only answer they had. They scored like, what was it? Two points in the last four minutes. Something, something like that. Something dumb like that. So I was like, they got out scored 40 to 19 in the fourth quarter. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. That is a 15. Oh, run by the Hawks late. That's just, if you're a number one seed, that's the thing. They came out of that game looking like a number one seed. And I was like, this is what I thought. You know, they would be way too physical for them. They would have too much size. You know, like Atlanta is a tough, feisty team, but they don't, they don't got that, you know, that buff. Uh, but clearly, uh, some determination and persistence lives within that Atlanta locker room. 
And now you got a you got a potential very, very interesting game six coming up here. Going back down to the A. And uh you don't win and you're out. And the Hawks be, would be in the Easter Conference Finals. It would be which crazy. Would be nuts. Which absolutely be nuts. This is what I love. Crazy. It goes back to our point at the beginning of the, of the podcast. Stars are being born, man. It's great. We've got some new stuff. New stuff. That's that's good. Well, I want to see what Philly does. Can they step back up? Because we've got Can Ben Simmons take more than four shots? That's the thing. Can Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris really say we can be part of a championship team? Because they're the, they're the two guys that are going to have to do it. I mean, everybody wants to put all of it on Ben. I get that, and he really does need to step up. Um, I think the whole team needs to do better defensively. But it, to me, it's on both of them because Tobias is paid like a top guy. And then, you know, hey, whatever you get in the open market, good for you. I don't want to say it like from a standpoint like, oh, you know, he's not earning his money. But at the same time, he is treated like one of the stars on that team. He is treated as one of the top offensive weapons that team has. So that's what he's on that team for. And so he's now been that guy. To step up. He's been he that guy. He has been yeah. that guy. The last game, he was not. Um, right. Which I think, you know, kind of sucks just because, you know, it's, it's one of the bigger games. And that was one of the times that he, you know, didn't didn't play well. But don't uh, you but, feel I mean, like this is a mental thing now with Ben Simmons because oh, yeah. we, we know he does not like to shoot, okay? Is it out that, of bounds that, thinking to think he, he should go right-handed, sort of like Tristan Thompson did? People have thought about that for a while, too. But it's I mean, a Kevin O'Connor thought, the, by the, the way. The, yeah. The last couple of games, though, to me, you could really see there is something mentally going on with him because we know he doesn't like to shoot. We know he's going to refuse to shoot, but now he's not even driving. He doesn't even want to get contact because he can't shoot free throws. He's shooting three free throws at 33% clip in the playoffs. It's a mental thing for him. He doesn't want the contact. He doesn't want to go to the free throw line now because he's, he's shooting so as good at the that. free throw line as Seth Curry is on threes. I saw that he, Tommy beer st- uh, put yeah. that out. I guess it's, Ben's like 47% of, from the line on, uh, on free throws. And I think in the Seth playoffs Curry's, he is yeah, something Seth, like that. But like in this, in the series, the I think three. he's shooting like 33%. Something like that. It's, it's, it's ridiculously low either way. It's a mental thing because now I I don't think he wants to drive. I don't think he wants to get to the free throw line. And I know I know he went there for 14, 14 free throws in the last game, but it's just like man, there's something going on there. To me, it's it's all mental. I completely botched mental. that, by the way. I botched that. So Ben okay. Simmons is twenty two of sixty seven. So that's thirty three percent from the free throw line during the playoffs. Seth Curry is thirty two of sixty seven from three point land which is 48% during the playoffs. Good Lord. So Seth Curry is shooting 15% better from way further back than Ben Simmons is at the free throw line on the same amount of attempts. There you go. That's the story. I have, I have really one big question. Can I ask you this big question coming out of this? Go for it. Why didn't they trade for James Harden? Ah, here we go. Here we go. What a jackass. <laughs> oh, all of the speculations and all of the the dangling and and all that. I mean, those talks are going to pop right back up if they don't get their crap together. So, uh we shall see. We shall see, but I think that we covered everything under the sun today, Brian. I, I, I mean, we got some great game 6 coming coming up and I think it's going to tell some great stories, you know, and um 
I, I'm very intrigued to see, you know, if teams are going to be able to fight back or how many game sevens we might get. Are we going to get none or are we going to get three? I think we get one game seven. I think we get two uh, uh, game sixes. Or, or, you know, only one game seven. Okay, make, make your prediction right now there, Boulder. Okay, I think that Clippers take care of business. I agree. I think that the Nets take care of business. Ooh. And then I think that Philly and Atlanta go seven. I think that. With Philly winning. By the way. I think Atlanta will take care of business. Oh. And in six, I think Milwaukee will win seven. And that one's going to go. Or Milwaukee wins game six. And it goes back to Brooklyn for game seven. Where okay. Brooklyn wins it. Because I, I just wonder about the Nets physically in a game six. The way that how many minutes they played. Yes. Yeah. But but if that game is very competitive early on, it's if it's a back and forth game, Milwaukee ain't gonna win it. Right. But in game six, if it's a back and forth game, Milwaukee's not gonna win that game. If Milwaukee blows them out early, I think the Nets might say, you know what, let's let's rest up our guys and let's go home and take, care take business all. on our court. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right, people. I think that's going to wrap it up for keeping it 94. I don't think we even introduced that at the beginning because there was so much news that was on our minds. We didn't even say keeping it 94. We didn't give you our Twitter handles. I'm at Spin Davies. He's at Brian Fritz. I'm on Instagram at Spin Davies, and he's on Instagram at It's Brian Fritz. We are also a part of the basketballnews.com podcast network. Got 10 other great ones for you to listen to. So make sure to go check them out. There's always always something new for you to listen to and that that doesn't even go further into whatever uh you know shows that we have on our network uh which whether it's the rematch with Aton thomas we've got the rex chapman show we've got the postcast with james posey we got neat and unfiltered with kenyon martin the sheridan show the alex kennedy podcast and dishes and dimes the list continues nba top shot weekly so many so many so make sure you go like them subscribe rate review do the same for your boys interact with us on Twitter. We're probably going to do a live show again somewhere in the future. So, uh, you know, get ahead of the curve because we're probably going to get into off season talk decently soon because there's only going to be four teams left standing here. Probably by the end uh, of the end uh, of the weekend, by the end of the weekend. So that's going to be the next time we're going to see you. There's going to be four teams left. And that's probably means that there are going to be another bunch of crazy decisions being made because the NBA has no patience. And, uh, can't seem to get out of their own way unless uh, they have stars coming to the markets. So, uh, with that said, I am going to bid you adieu for Spencer Davies and Brian Fritz. We will see you on the next episode. Bye.